Hello, I'm Eddie Merckx. Welcome to the VeloCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the VeloCast analysis of the 2016 Tour de France. Agony and heartbreak that so often comes with bike racing. Today's stage two, from Saint-Lô to Cherbourg, was a demonstration of the maxim that you can never have too much time over a rampaging peloton, as it was Trek Segafredo's Jasper Steuven who was swallowed up in the final few hundred metres. There was also agony for Alberto Contador again today as the two-time tour winner crashed once again and lost time in the final testing climb, while Richie Porte had echoes of his 2015 Giro with an ill-timed mechanical. But amongst all the frustrations and exasperations, there was joy for world champion Peter Sagan as he fought for a richly deserved win. Fascinating, fascinating stage. I mean, we're only at stage two and we're also we're already seeing implications for the GC, uh, both in, in team attitudes and support and also in, in injury. Uh, we're seeing Peter Sagan doing exactly the same as he did last year. You know, he, he had such a reputation for uh, finishing in second place last year. And today, you know, we saw the same performance. He said that he thought there were still people out in the break in front. Uh, and essentially what he was doing was riding for points for the green which he did so successfully last year, but this time it netted him a victory. Um, and, you know, I said yesterday that he would only take his Urkong seal jersey off to, to put on the green jersey. Never, of course, thinking, actually, I should have thought about the time gaps a bit more because what he's done is he's taken it off for the yellow jersey. And just as with Mark Cavan just yesterday, can you believe it's his first Mayo Jaune? <laughs> it was somewhat of deja vu, and deja vu is a theme that she'll run through this show, I feel. Uh, yeah, the more I look at that finish, the more impressed I am with Sagan, even if, as you say, he thought that Paul Voss and Jasper Steuven were still out in front. He, he was at the front on that final climb and then Julian Alaphilippe came past him and you could almost hear Sagan saying, hey, hang on a minute there, sunshine. If anybody's taking points from this, it's going to be me. And the, the amount of strength and determination to come back at uh, Julian Alaphilippe, who must have thought he had that sewn up all day long. And you could see the frustration from, from him as he banged the handlebars after the finish line. So it was absolutely gutting for him as it was, you know, superb and, and well taken from Sagan. Yeah, absolutely. And in third place, who else but uh, Alejandro Valverde? And I tell you, I've seen a lot of people saying that they expected him to take the stage. You know, there were a lot of people tipping him. What I saw actually was a guy looking after his team leader and then going, actually, Nairo's fine. I'm going to see what I can do. And I genuinely think that, you know, we said in the preview show that the vibe coming from Movie Star was one of, you know, a team dedicated and disciplined enough to work for a GC guy. And I think today we saw a Valverde who, if he'd been riding as a kind of rogue for himself, might actually have been a lot closer to Perse again. I think he just wanted to make sure Nairo Quintana was fine before looking after his own interests so given that I spent at least half of our podcasting career really strongly disliking Alejandro Valverde I'm warming to the old guy even more now because I think he, he did an exemplary team job today. Well see the thing is I, I've often felt and have felt for a long long time you know ever since Alejandro Valverde came onto to the cycling scene that he was a clever intelligent rider it's just that everybody then lost the rag with him and, and deservedly so because of the 
bag of blood. There's a bag of blood with his DNA and it has pity written on it, the name of his dog. And and I suppose the fact that, that he never really apologised for that or, or showed any contrition has what has you know that's been the thing that's stuck in the craw of of many a cycling fan. Yeah. But if you possibly can, and I do appreciate it, it's very very difficult. If you can put that to one side and actually just look at the rider, and you know in terms of the performances that he puts in and, and the way he goes about his business, it's actually very very impressive. Yeah. Um. But I mean, getting back to the stage, what we saw were. Essentially, all of the names that we expected given the, the finale to today's stage, which was really very technical, very twisting. Um, there was a lot of road furniture. The usual suspects were up there. I mean, if you look at the, the top five, Sagan was first, Philippe Valverde, Dan Martin, uh, you know, Michael Matthews, uh, Kelderman, Gallopin. It was a very, very predictable victory for Sagan. You know, you picked him as your, your winner yesterday. I saw him tipped in a lot of other places. But essentially, it played out exactly as we expected. Uh, for me, the main intrigue was what happened to some of the GC guys. Well, before we get to that, I think we should give a, a, a doff of the cap to a, a couple of riders. The first being Paul Voss, who sits in... Granted, we haven't had any real claims of, of note yet, but sits in, in the the, uh, the polka dot jersey. Mm-hmm. And a fantastic ride from him again today and would surely get the Energizer Bunny Award for most eager rider if indeed ASO were to introduce such a competition. Yeah, very, very strong. I mean, clearly committed to keeping that jersey for as long as he possibly can, which means getting out into the breaks. You know, where these wee pimply kind of fourth cats and stuff are, we can expect, I think, to see him even as the days progress. You know, it's a fairly flat for week but there will be uh, mountain jersey points to be had and I fully expect to see Paul Voss out in a breakaway just about every single day if he can manage it to, to consolidate those points and Jasper Steuven who won Kern Brussels Kern of course uh, just looked to me like the archetypal Belgian today do you know what I mean? He looked like if, if you'd thrown cobbles in front of him, if you'd thrown you know a line of striking workers in front of him, if you'd thrown some kind of climb like uh, you know the, the Murica Hartsbergen, he would have coped with anything that was thrown at him. And my heart actually broke when he got caught because I don't think I've seen such a suspenseful break at the front for, for such a long time. My head knew that uh, he and Voss were likely to get caught. You know, It just knew because you looked at the time and you thought, well, that's quite a lot. But the finish is so, so technical. But it was almost like um, Tony Martin getting caught in the line. You remember? Mm, I, I feel yeah, like it, yeah. exactly the same for Jasper today because... All he needed was a moment's hesitation as they went through that twisting technical finale from the bunch. He could have stayed away. All he needed was maybe just a, a, a watt or two more energy. He would have stayed away. But it's a cruel, cruel sport. And, you know, he'll have to go home, recover on the bus, recover in the hotel and likely try and do it all again tomorrow. And I think a win for him would have been very well deserved. I would have been just as happy to see him win as I was to see Peter Sagan perform so well. Yeah, I honestly thought the peloton had had blown it today. I mean, I said in the intro that you know it's a proof of the maximum that you can never have too much time over a peloton desperate to to pull you back. But I thought they had got the calculations completely wrong. Calculations, uh, calculations, the with bonifications <laughs> at the end. I, I had the sad trombones gif all geared up and ready to tweet, but but somehow the the peloton managed to to pull it back. Also, can we just at this juncture? 
juncture insert our now too often heard rant and plea for reliable time caps in this sport I mean much <laughs> like the one yesterday about historic footed barriers it's 2016 the time have, gaps were fine the time gaps weren't fine it said 1 minute and 8 seconds but it was too the yellow jersey of Mark Cavendish who mm-hmm. had fallen off the back of course so yes mm-hmm. I take the point that the time gap was fine but that wasn't the time gap that we were actually interested in it was the time gap between the head of the peloton and Jasper Stuyven yeah I mean Ashley apologised um, you know I've just finished chatting to Ashley from an absolutely chaotic um, backstage area of the tour today it seemed I mean if it sounded like a zoo yesterday it's, it's absolute madness today but he was he was apologising uh, before we started talking for getting the gap wrong. I don't think they got the gap wrong. Um, I, I think it's perfectly natural to assume it was to the second group, but there was a big yellow jersey beside the time gap. And seconds before, we'd seen Mark Cavendish, who actually stuck with it a lot longer than I thought he would, uh, slip off the back. But yeah, you're exactly right. In this century, we should have time gaps to every significant rider. You know, so it shouldn't just be from uh, Jasper Stuyven at the front to Mark Cavendish because he had been in the yellow jersey group, but of course that fragmented completely in the climb. There should be a gap from, you know, Stuyven to the Tinkoff rider that was 150 metres behind him or whatever. Um, before we get to big data and before we get to on-bike cameras, and I'm not going to go on about this because listeners know exactly how I feel about this, we should have, you know... This gap has fallen. This gap has fallen because for riders, or for riders, it's useful, you know, because that's presumably why um, Peter Sagan thought there were still people up the road, and for fans, it's useful because they can better read the race, and for commentators, it would be really useful because. It's easy for fans sitting, you know, in their massive fifty-two-inch televisions or sixty-four-inch televisions or whatever, you know, whatever size of telly they've got, to to think, oh, I can see it. When you see the commentary boxes these guys are on, it's like a small laptop, you know, or a small CRT thing. They're actually getting a worse view of the race in many occasions than you or I get. Yeah, ex- exactly that. Uh, I was just thinking there, you know, it being very, very useful for both commentators, riders and, and fans alike. Either that, we we could also go down a completely different route and encourage in-play betting by having no time gaps at all and you just bet. We can have a gate. We all play our own game of, I wonder how much time there is between the riders. <laughs> Who knows? Speaking of uh, sad trombones, Richie Port gets a puncture inside the final five kilometres, suffers deja vu from his 2015 Giro and eventually rolls in 145 down. Do you know everybody been talking about TJ Van Garden and Richie Port and who's going to lead Team BMC? Um, And I've been banging on since the Dauphiné that for me, Richie was by far the more credible leader. You know, he was he was fighting hammer and tongs with with your frumes and and your contadors, etc. Um, I've got to say that today I was genuinely shocked to see him completely isolated, and even more shocked because in, you know in the era of team radios, in the era of you know very active communication between DSs and riders, we had you know. The, one of the BMC team leaders, whether you know it's sensible to have two team leaders or not, we'll just assume that they were both team leaders, in a situation where there's no rider beside him to give him a wheel, uh, there's no rider beside him to give him a bike, which you know it would be hard because he's a diddy wee guy, so you'd need you know you'd need to employ a, a team of shortish riders to be able to just hand over the bike. He has to rely on the Mavic neutral service and. 
I don't care who's in the Mavic car. If if you're neutral service, your wheel change is always going to be slower than your own team's mechanics. You know, because every bike has its own weird idiosyncrasies, which, you know, just tiny things will make a wheel change quicker or slower. So he's left to the devices of Mavic. And at this point, you know, earlier in the day, we'd seen Alberto Contador and yet another crash being paced back by, you know, the, the vast majority of his team. There is not a single, not a single BMC jersey around Richie Port. Not a single guy sent back. And, you know, and this is where the race radios come in, his team are actually drilling it at the front on the climb. So, you know, he lost, what, 145-ish today? And that, at this point, you've got to say, unless you know the, the, something utterly unexpected happened, game over for Richie Port for the GC, and we're only on stage two. Oh, well, I was just about to ask you what your thoughts were for the, the GC in terms of Richie Port because team manager Jim Okovitz is saying, I mean, I guess you could file this under, well, he would say that, but he was quoted after the stage as saying that with one good day, Richie Port could make that time up. And I'm thinking, what, yeah, land, of, what land of unicorns and fairies are you inhabiting, Mr Okovitz? Because I can't see... Richie Port being given the freedom to make up, you know, in excess of one forty-five, considering all the other riders that are around about him, and it was it was immensely sad for him today, as you you rightly point out. No team, no team car left to the ignominy of of Mavic neutral service with nothing but a world weary glacial look in his face that was pleading, "Eh, eh guys, I'm I'm here, I'm back here, guys. Remember me, your your team leader, yeah. Richie Port." For all the world looked. To, to BMC, what Donnie was to the Big Lebowski. It was very much, shut up, Donnie. You're out of your element. I mean, I'm literally speechless at Jim Walker about saying that. You know, Richie Port, on a good day, couldn't make a 145 to Wilco Kelderman, you know, who's a super strong rider, you know, developing fast, let alone to a Nairo Quintana, who's part of a, a well-drilled and, and loyal movie star team. And, of course, Chris Froome, both of whom finished where they needed to finish today in the group where they didn't lose any time, but they were safe on that technical run-in. So Ochowitz, not for the first time, it's got to be said, is talking utter shite. <laughs> A good Scottish technical term there. Uh, speaking of uh, Mr Froome, quietly doing what he did last year, staying out of trouble. But I think you're, you're right to also bring Nairo Quintana into it because unlike last year, Nairo Quintana is doing exactly the same as Chris Froome and staying out of trouble, being where he needs to be in the early stages. Yeah, and we saw yes, you know, last year as Froome was, was um, you know, fading towards the end. Uh, you have to, you have to say. I think Nairo Quintana is a better climber than Chris Froome. You know, if they're both on their best day, I would expect Quintana to have a slight edge. Uh, he's improved his time trial and now, so he's not going to lose chunks of time there. But more importantly, he looks, you know, he looks ready. Valverde looks, as I said earlier, to have been transformed into a loyal teammate. Uh, movie star are doing everything right. So Froome and Quintana moved up a step towards, you know, they've been joint favourite. A lot of people have put Froome in front. But for me, you know, in the preview show, I said Nairo Quintana was my favourite for the win. They, they're worthy joint favourites. And on days where we've seen Alberto Contador lose what, 48 seconds today, uh, involved in a crash for the second day. His tour's looking like it's going wrong already. We've seen Richie Port, abandoned by his team, uh, left to, to to deal with something that was just dumb luck. You know, he didn't have a jour sans. He wasn't weak, it's just dumb luck. And, you know, he was left to, to languish. 
you've got to say that Nairo Quintana and Chris Froome look like um, you know they're, they're performing really, really solidly as we move through this first flat week towards the mountains. Well, let's go then to Alberto Contador. You mentioned the fact he, he was involved in another crash today. I mean, it, it seemed like a, a, an innocuous tumble. There was no damage to his rain jacket when we saw him picking himself up, mm-hmm. although there was a, a look in his face of, oh God, not again. Uh, we hear it was on the same shoulder as was damaged yesterday. And it was, you know, it's possible that he would have struggled up on that final climb from the injuries that he, he sustained yesterday, but surely this wouldn't have helped him. No, absolutely not. I mean, he said in interviews this morning to, to the assembled press that uh, he'd had a lot of pain overnight from the bruises, uh, you know, from the knocks that he'd had. Um, he'd had, you know, as I, as I surmised yesterday, a really sleepless night, a lot of difficulty getting comfortable. Uh, Road rash always does that. You add to that the bruising. Um, and the tour, more than any other race, these Grand Tours, all three of them are about recovery. You know, about getting stronger as others weaken around you, about, you know, or, or getting weaker more slowly, if you like. And for, for Contador to already have that lack of recovery in his bank, you know, in his energy bank, puts him at a great disadvantage already. Um, we saw yesterday, because, you know, we recorded almost immediately after the stage, um, we, along with everybody else, thought it was a, a BMC rider that taken, had taken him down. When we saw the footage from a fan later on, uh, it was clear that he just washed out his front wheel, whether it was an Apache diesel or whatever. And when you saw the fan video, the crash was actually a lot worse than it looked from the front for me because he hit the ground hard and then slid into the kerb over that central reservation, lifted up, bounced over the central reservation and then fell off the kerb on the other side. So there was far more of the, the kind of battering knocks rather than a fairly clean slide. So I'm not surprised he's hurting. And that finale today, which was so hard, which is why it was so good for, for Alaphilippe and Sagan, um, clearly took its toll. And Sean Yates afterwards, I mean, I was chatting to Ashley about this, um, and we'll, we'll go to that in a minute. He looked, well, first he looked like a used car dealer from EastEnders. I mean, that white belt and those yeah, I mean, those earrings, is, it's not a good look. Uh, but he looked absolutely bereft. You know, he was really torn, as that team will be, about whether to celebrate for Peter Sagan going into yellow, um, you know, getting a, a good solid start to his quest for green and doing honour to the World Champions jersey. You know, that's, that's a cause for champagne along with poor Alberto Contador, 48 seconds down, looking like a tired man and, you know, as you'll hear from Ashley, looking, you know, really in quite a bad way. Well, before we go to that, there's a, a couple of points I would just want to pick up on. That, just that fan video, if if anyone hasn't seen it, you know, go go to YouTube or Twitter, I'm sure you, you'll find it there. One thing that uh, Andrew Ross, who works for Trek Segafredo, was saying to me last night after having watched it, the noise is really the, the, the key thing, the telling thing. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely sickening when you hear the thuds and the clunks, you know, and it's that's bone hitting tarmac. So you're right to highlight that that for one. The other thing that you kind of skirted round about there when, when mentioning Sean Yates and, and just the, the celebration that should go on um, at the team hotel tonight. Sagan heaping praise, as he always does, on his team for getting him where he needed to be for that finish. Unfortunately, that self-same team, of course, also contains one Alberto Contador, who, as we say, was dropped in the process. You know, is there going to be a bit of stress at the Tinkoff dinner table tonight? And, and should they have left Peter Sagan to his own devices a wee bit more in order to ensure 
Alberto Contador got more help on on the climb, or was it just a case that Contador, you think, might have said, I need to try and ride this or at my own pace because you pacing me is not going to do any different any help because I'm 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 struggling with a shoulder. The one that really surprised me actually was Roman Kreuziger, um, mm-hmm. who Sagan particularly highlighted as somebody who'd helped him, you know, hugely in the final climb. And we're so used to seeing Kreuziger at, at Alberto Contador's side. Um, you know, whenever Alberto's been in, in difficulty, I'm thinking about you know, that double stage up Alp Duez. Um, you know, think of the number of times you've seen Roman at, at Alberto's side. And for him to to go and help Sagan kind of makes me think that you might have hit the nail on the head. And Alberto's just said, I'm just going to do what I can do here. You know, I'm going to ride it at my own pace, um, ride your own race, knowing that it was short enough he wouldn't lose a crippling amount of time. You know, he wouldn't lose a point of time where it, his GC hopes were entirely gone. Uh, because otherwise, I don't think Kreuziger would have left his side to work for Sagan. Uh, just a, a final thing on that crash from from yesterday. Going some way to restoring my faith in human nature was just the the whole social media approach from from a lot of people directly involved in it. I mean, Brent Bookwalter had tweeted to me after I'd, I'd tweeted that that video that, that we talked about, and he said, "Yeah, that's because I said it looks." from this video that, that Alberto just lost his front wheel, it slid away from him. And Brent got in touch to say, that's exactly what happens. He's had a, I had a front row seat mm-hmm. to that. And, you know, even, this is his words, even the greats have an accident. I really, really hope he's okay, which was lovely. And then we had, I think, uh, Stephen de Jong from, from Tinkov publicly apologising to, to Brent for insinuating or, or blaming him for the crash yesterday, you know, just saying I'm really sorry about that. So loveliness all round, which is really great to see. Yeah, and then we had Oleg getting his big mug in the face and, uh, and Sagan winning today. Just before we go to Ashley, a, a few other th- uh, riders losing time today, which I think are, are interesting. Pino and the Bali both lost 11 seconds today. Garrick Thomas, 24. Ilno Zakarin, 41 seconds. Uh Pools was with uh, Richie Port at 1.45 and Jakob Fuglsang lost 2.52 with Rafael Michael losing 6.51. Yeah, and rather surprisingly, Fabio, are you up there at the sharp end? Um, you know, in with Joaquim Rodriguez and, and Warren Barguil, just a, a wee bit behind Chris Froome. So, I, I mean, these are the kind of stages where I'm not going to come out with the old cliche about, you know, you won't win it here, but you can lose it. Um, but I think you just did. I know I did, because there's no other way of putting it. You know, it's the, the handful of seconds you lose in stages like this. Not if, you, you know, not if you're in a crash like Contador, but just if you're not quite strong enough or you're not quite attentive enough. And all of these wee handfuls add up, you know, and if you can gain them, you know, if you can gain eight seconds here, 12 seconds in another place, then you're moving towards where you need to be. But if you lose them, that's time that you have to get back. And you have no choice. You have to get it back if you want to win. And when the people that you're having to get it back against are the likes of Chris Froome and Nairo Quintana, then, you know, you're, you're, you're making a hard road for yourself. It's attention to detail on these wee stages that is every bit the mark of the great champion as, you know, the ability to make a huge difference on the really difficult stages. Now, we've teased this long enough. I think it's probably time that we hand over to the yellow-clad loveliness that is Mr Ashley House. 
Now we're joined from uh, what isn't looking like a very dangerous chaos this year from the, the Tour de France by Ashley House. Ashley, you need to be looking after Juan Antonio and yourself. That looked like a, a, a near road traffic accident today. <laughs> yeah, good evening, everybody. Actually, for those who didn't see the show, Juan Antonio was missed by the BMC team bus by about, I don't know, between two and three millimetres. I can't be exactly sure pretty hairy. I mean, it, the thing is there is no control back there. I mean, it is people desperate to get to the hotel so they can start their recovery for the next day, uh, look after the riders. So, you know, there is a lot of chaos um, and trying to cover it is a, is a huge challenge. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us again, Ashley. No, no, absolutely. It's fantastic. And don't forget, it's one of the reasons we love this sport is that the fans can get so close to their heroes. And uh, so the fact that we're trying to do the show um, to give people a real atmosphere of what it's like does unfortunately mean that, um, that sometimes it can appear a bit chaotic and a bit hectic, but hopefully you get an idea of what it's like to actually be here. So we're on day two, um, the second stage, uh, and we're really into the race already. We've got people uh, losing really significant amounts of time in the GC. We've got the green jersey taking shape. Um, is it starting to calm down yet, or does it feel as chaotic as it did for you yesterday? Uh, do you know, I think it actually just continues to feel like a really, really hectic, chaotic start to this Tour de France. I mean, we spoke... Uh, the day before the tour started, we said that, you know, right from the off, because of those um, King of the Mountains points on offer at the beginning yesterday, it was likely to start quickly. Then today, it was a difficult finish. And remember, uh, Perito Rodriguez last year finishing ahead of uh, Chris Froome on the Mood uh, uh, of Gui as well. So we weren't mm-hmm. quite sure how today was going to turn up. But what I didn't expect... Uh, was for Richie Port to, uh, to lose that much time on the stage and for Alberto yet again uh, to go down. None of us saw Alberto's crash. We only saw the fact that he had crashed. But uh, as, he, as he rode past us after the stage, I mean, he looked just so down in the dumps and understandably as well. Yeah, and I mean, you were talking to, to Sean Yates after the stage. He looked like a DS who knew that his GC guy was in trouble. That wasn't a routine interview. No, it really wasn't, was it? Um, I mean, Sean is always candid. It's one of the wonderful things about Sean. He's, he, he, ne- he never tries to cover things up. You can really tell how he's feeling. You know, when he's happy, it's perfectly obvious. When he's not happy, that's obvious as well. He's a great guy. Um, I mean, I think... For the Tinkoff guys, yesterday must have been hard because Alberta went down, but that you don't know how those how a crash like that is going to affect a rider. Um, and probably you don't know in yourself as a rider either until you actually get that on the back on the bike. He probably thought it was okay today. He must have been a little bit um, uh, ginger. Gin, I was going to say he must have been a little bit ginger, but I don't mean that. He was, might have been going a little bit gingerly, testing himself out. Um, mm. And then to go down again, you know, it's, it's re- really bad luck. I just hope that maybe tomorrow is a little bit of a, an active recovery stage, if you like, and that, um, and that by the end of tomorrow, his, his body might have had, had a day to heal or so. Don't forget, 48 seconds, this is Alberto Contador. Yeah. I mean, one thing that you did for us during the Giro, I remember you told us about, uh, you know, riders having to be helped up the steps in the podium. When you see him in the flesh as he passes you, is he looking like a hurt rider? Oh, today he looked, uh, yeah, he, today he looked, uh, he looked really, really hurt. Um, one never knows how much of that is physical and how much of that is mental. But he was, in terms of looking glum, I mean, he really, really looks glum. Obviously, he didn't speak to uh, to anybody really after the stage. But it's a really difficult day for Tinkoff because Edith Sagan took yellow. So, But that is not their main aim. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Roman Kreuziger did a great job with Sagan today. 
it's a very difficult day for Tinkoff to know. I mean, tonight, for example, after a stage win or taking a jersey, the teams always have a celebration. Mm -hmm. I doubt they're going to do that tonight. The other team that, that struck me, because we saw Alberto go down again today and his team went back in, in, in the terrible weather, all wearing their rain jackets and paced them back um, when it looked like he might conceivably lose even more time. I contrasted that really quite quite a lot with Richie Port, who had a mechanical very late and looked completely isolated by his team. They were still driving on the front when he was getting Mavic help and nobody went back to help him. Yeah, nobody went back to help him and Simon Clark wasn't even around, was he? No, I mean, you know, there, there was absolutely, even a fellow Australian couldn't help him. I've been really worried about the fact that they've got two leaders and they look to me like a team divided um, or a team that's actually devoted to TJ now. Poor Richie should have got some help, I think. Yeah, he should definitely have got some help. I think we've all been waiting to see how the BMC situation plays out. We're waiting as well to see how the Astana situation plays out, but in a different way. With, with BMC, it's, it's been fascinating to try and see to try and work out what's going to happen. Uh, are they a split team? Is it half and half supporting each guy? Or they're actually just going to ride for, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Now, after Richie's lost this time, how, what are they going to decide tonight? The DSs have got to have, I think, a pretty important meeting this evening to decide at what point do we say, OK, we're all for TJ. Um, and obviously after today, that decision might need to be brought forward a bit from when they might have hoped to have to make it. Now, looking forward to the next couple of days, much easier days. Do you think the GC guys are, are going to just take a, a bit of a rest and try and take things easy? Maybe Alberto will try and heal. I think Froome and Nairo Quintana look very good. Valverde was in third today. Um, are you getting a sense of the atmosphere from Movie Star and from Sky? Do you think they're, they're coping well and they're doing the job well? Uh, yeah, to be totally honest, it's very, very difficult to tell with Team Sky. Uh, you know, they, they don't talk much to the media as much as the other teams. Um, one thing I will say is that all of the riders, the GC guys especially, when they've come over the line and come towards, uh, towards us and past us, I think, having looked at some of the, the top domestics as well, these first two days have been a lot harder than they were anticipating, expecting and hoping as well. Um, mm. So I think you're absolutely right. I think over the next couple of days, we're going to see them just quieten down. Everybody's going to hope that it's a much quieter day uh, for the big boys tomorrow, and especially tomorrow. And then we'll see it all ramp up again as we get to stage five, which I guess is the first real test, really. And finally today, because I, I can hear Greg LeMond in the background, so you've, you've got your day job to do. Um, Dime... Dimension Data, there's a real atmosphere in that team. They really do feel like a team. Uh, Mark Cavendish, we saw him talking to, to Laura Messager. Do you think he's, uh, is his head down or is he, he happy that he got the jersey and he's just looking forward to moving on? No, he's, 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 he's a happy guy. It's a happy team. Remember last year when they were MCN Quebec? It was a happy team then. It's a happy team again now and it's really lovely to see to see Mark and Bernie, uh, Mark Renshaw, Steve coming. They're the guys, actually, just like last year in a way, they're the guys with smiles on their faces. It's really good to see. And I think the atmosphere of that within that team is super. It really is super, and it's good to see. Well, I'll leave, I'll leave you to get on with it, but you need to talk to your bosses and get your cattle feeder back that you can all lean on. My heart was in my mouth with that BMC bus today, mate. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try our very, very best indeed. Um, thanks very much indeed, John Scott. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks for your time. We'll see you again tomorrow. I'll, um, I guess I should probably go and speak to Mr Tour de France, Greg Lutton. Thank you once again to Ashley for taking the time to speak to us. You can see Juan Antonio Fletcher and Ashley House on Eurosport Tour Extra. Now, John, just talking about that incident with the, the BMC bus today, that was actually really, really dangerous. 
But I, I'm begging Eurosport just now, absolutely begging them to bring back the cattle feeder that they've been leaning on for the last couple of years because I, my heart was in my mouth for Juan Antonio today. And, you know, you, we were talking before we started recording, you quite rightly pointed out that these buses are left-hand drive. You know, that bus driver must have been looking straight at the back of his head as he barrelled down upon your favourite Spaniard. I, I don't want to see them getting mowed down by any team cars or, or vehicles. The other option, of course, is that just out of shot was Richie Port. And they were just trying to settle it once and for all by running them over. <laughs> Actually, could we maybe get an HD feed of or a screenshot of that and we see whether it's TJ Van Garderen driving that bus? <laughs> right, the top tens for today. Petr Sagan takes the win ahead of Julian Alaphilippe. In third was Alejandro Valverde. And in fourth was Dan Martin. In fifth place was Michael Matthews. In sixth, Wilco Kelderman. In seventh was Tony Galapan. In eighth was Greg Van Avermet. Well, in ninth was Bauka Mollema, and rounding out the top ten was Chris Froome. Changes to the general classification, of course, from yesterday, where Pesta Sagan now moves into the yellow jersey eight seconds ahead of Julian Alaphilippe and ten seconds to Alejandro Valverde. At 14 seconds is Warren Barguil, along with Chris Froome in fifth, Greg Van Avermaet in sixth, in seventh, Nairo Quintana, in eighth, Roman Kreuziger, in ninth, Simon Gerrans, and rounding out the general classification is Dan Martin. Now tomorrow's stage three hand stage honours back to the sprinters as the peloton race the 223.5 kilometres from Grandville to Angers. The parkour is filled with lots of little bumps and humps but barring those intending to be in the brake setting off right now, it should see a bunch gallop powering up the slight incline to the finish. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we've got a nailed-on sprint tomorrow, uh, which, uh, given my recent prognostication, probably means somebody will get 18 minutes and the to-do will be entirely transformed. Um, I'm actually, I'm really, really keen on Mark Cavendish just now because something struck me. Um, you know, we talked about his shape changing, you know, not in terms of getting fat or whatever, just changing slightly. And then I heard um, Greg Lamont, who, who knows a thing or two about this sport, say that he thought that the track work that Cav had been doing for the Olympics might actually have restored some of that top-end speed that maybe you're inclined to lose as you age, you know, as a professional roadman sprinter. So I think um, I think we'll see Cav drop out probably after the Pyrenees because, you know, he's, he's got those big ambitions for the Olympics. Remember, he's the only, gen- only member of that generation who came up through British Cycling who needs to get an Olympic medal. He'll be really motivated for that. And I think he's not looking towards getting to the Champs-Élysées, although I would love to see him there. You know, he's, he himself has said it's the Sprinters World Championship in the past. So I think we'll see him really try to make his mark in the race, nudge towards that record number of wins in his career, you know, maybe uh, get another couple of stages in the bag. Um, and he's tails up. You know, Ashley, as you heard there, was talking about the great atmosphere in Team Dimension Data. And I think, you know, we'll see him have another really good shout. But having said that, you know, Kittle et al weren't that far behind on stage one. So, yeah, I think we're in for a humdinger, humdinger, a proper sprint royale tomorrow. I would agree with all that and just maybe remind people of the circumstances which contributed to Mark Cavendish's win and not to say that, you know, there was anything against it. It's just that Cav, I thought, read the circumstances better and more intelligently than than anybody else on on the day. As we say, very, very clever. I mean, super Mm. clever sprinting. 
Yeah, and it may very well be that he does exactly the same tomorrow. But I still think, you know, with, with only that one sprinter stage having been covered, we're not sure as to the exact form of, of all the protagonists. So a fascinating stage tomorrow, despite it all coming down to just that, that bunch gallop. I guess if you're going to go for, for Cav, I'll just be contrarian and say Marcel Kittel. Although an outside bet, I think, is Edward Toynes, who may be trying to avenge the heartbreak that teammate Yasser where Stuyven suffered today. Yeah, um, and also somebody who's really coming through is Dutch champion, uh, Grunewagen. I mean, he's he's super strong, very good sprinter. So, yeah, I mean, a proper sprint royale is what I'm expecting. And that's, I mean, it's something we haven't had properly for me since the days of, you know, your Tom Steele's, your Eric Zabel's, your, your Fabian Cancellara's. There's been too many situations where maybe Greipel's just been off the boil or, you know, in Yorkshire, Cav hits the ground in that horrible video that we all saw from the fan there, talking about fan videos. I think just as we want to see a tour where all of the GC guys are fighting fit and, are you know, it's decided on the road through tactics and through physical strength as opposed to crashes and accidents, I think we've got... What we've got tomorrow is a situation where all of the sprinters, you know, the best in the world are there in absolutely superb form. So, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. And I don't usually like sprinting stages that much. I thought that was my role in life. Well, that's no, time trials, yeah. Uh, no, we both agree about the kind of sprint stages. I love the sprint. I just, I don't like the fact that before it, often you're just going, yeah, there's the break and we're waiting for the last 4K. And kind of, you understand that, the you know, the 170K before it's got to be there. Otherwise, you'd be as well having a track sprint. But it's not the most inter- interesting viewing. But, uh, you know, yeah, you kind of find end- yourself with the, the Archer's theme tune going through your head most of the day. Dum-dee-dum-dee-dum-dee-dum. Yeah, dum-dee-dum. yeah quite. Uh, but, you know, given the intrigue we've had already, and we're only in day two, um, you know, I, I fully expect a cow to leap over a fence into the peloton or something tomorrow. OK, well, having said that, thank you for joining us today as we saw Petr Sagan surprise even himself in winning the stage and taking the yellow jersey. Join us again tomorrow to see which of the riders will be sprinting to winning ways in another edition of The Velocast. Velocast.